as always, this episode is brought to you by Set GK Goalkeeper Gloves. Gloves by the pros for the pros. With six different models to choose, they guarantee you'll find the feel and fit you're looking for. Use promo code JG25 at checkout for 25% off your order. Set GK. It all starts with your set. We're going to dive into a little bit the, the science behind teaching. So yeah. um, could you just start, you know, what, what are some of the similarities that you see that coaches can have as well as teachers in yeah. teaching in the classroom, teaching on the field? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I think this is like it's so obvious but so easy to overlook that coaching is a form of teaching. It's not quite the same as teaching because there, there are some important differences that we can get into, but it is a form of teaching. But maybe that also helps us to see, like, either gaps in the way that we coach or a huge opportunity to get people better faster, which is that we don't often think about as intentionally as we could about coaching as the craft of teaching, right? We think about like, what exercise am I going to do, but not how am I going to teach it? Or, um, you know, or sometimes we like, who gets hired at right. elite, elite soccer clubs, people who are great players. Well, that's interesting. Like one cog, one like really interesting, one really important principle of cognitive science science is called the curse of expertise right which is when you're an expert at something you perceive something that you perceive things that novices do not perceive but you're unaware of the differences obviously and so it's very hard to teach them so one just like I'm I've been successful at something all my life now my job is to do something related but different which is to teach it I deserve to have someone help me be successful at that task so right. I can transmit the knowledge that I have but also like because I was so good at it I have unique challenges that I may not be right. ready for. Of like, right. It's actually going to be really hard for me to take something that maybe has come to me intuitively all my life and explain to people for whom it does not come intuitively how to get good at it. So um, so I, I think maybe it's just been like a tiny tiny bit of a blind spot. And you know, like I can't tell you how often coaches come to me and say, like, no one has ever talked to me about any of this. Right. How do I know whether people are learning? How do I give feedback to players so that it motivates them instead of making them feel like crap? Um, right. You know, uh, how do I design a session, you know, so that it transfers? In other words, what we, what we do in the session shows up in the game on Saturday. You know, where, do you, where do you feel coaches are going wrong in, in the how and in, in what they're teaching? Yeah, I want to be just careful about, like, going. I just want to, like, express my appreciation. Yeah, for coach. Like, you know, well, I'm sure. a dad of three, and, like, some of the most influential people in, their, in my kids' lives have been their coaches. Like, God bless them for it. Yeah. But I think that, like, we're, like... Where are simple, the thing I like most are like simple things that you can change relatively quickly about yourself without changing your whole style, in fact with like respecting your style of who you are, but that can make you more effective and maybe I'll just point out a couple of things that I think are really, like our potential, like uh, small things with big muscles. Right. One thing is, so one thing that cognitive science tells us is that um, working memory is preciously, preciously small. And working memory is the part of your brain that is, that is engaged in uh, con any conscious thinking. So anything you're right. consciously thinking of is using your working memory, right? And so um, you really can't keep one, more than one or possibly two ideas in your working memory at any given time. Imagine like a very small glass of water, and the more you try and pour into it, something starts to spill out. You don't remember things. You don't execute things well. 
So if we know that working memory is tiny, it means that like when we give feedback to players, we should be really aware of that. And right. lot, one of the one of the most common things that coaches do quote wrong is actually done out of best intentions, which is um, they overload working memory. I'll just right. give you an example. Yeah. Let's say I'm working on building out of the back and uh, with my team of, of girls, and they're, they're, they play for five minutes, and I say, pause. Girls, when we're building out of the back, one of the most important things is that the ball has to be struck at pace, and every pass has to be on the ground. Right? We're trying to move the defense side to side, and so the pace of our passes is really important. And when we receive the ball, we have to we have to receive the ball across our body to on our back foot and, and snap open our hips with our eyes up so we can see the field and make decisions about where to go. And outside backs, we have to push high to put pressure on the defense. Right? Ready? Go. So everything. Let's assume that everything I said there is true. That right. it's good feedback. What will happen to players after that? Well, first of all, I, I can't. Do you think you could repeat back to me all the feedback that everything so, I just told yeah, you? Right, what I would say would just like I would try if I was a if I was a student or player, I would just try to kind of think of quick buzzwords. So it was like you know pace, pressure, yeah, uh, hips. I think that's like really that. so. You would try to re, if you were smart, you would try to remember maybe one thing or what you would simplify it and right. choose one or two things that you thought were most important or most relevant or maybe just most memorable. Right. And so the best case scenario is. Every person chooses one thing to focus on, and let's just say they all choose the most important thing for them, which is highly unlikely, but let's right, just say right. that happens. Even if that happens, now they start playing, and you're working on the pace of your passes, but I'm your coach, and I don't know that you're working on your pace. So I can't say things like, yes, that's what I want. That's a right. better pass. That's what we're looking for. Yes, yeah. strike it in there. Yeah. And the player who's working on snapping his hips open, I can't be like, yeah, that's what it looks like. It's, you know, more, you know, like... Uh, now see if you can unweight your defender before you receive it. Yes, right. and so I can't give you any feedback on how you're doing with my live feedback because I don't really know what you're working on. Yeah. So what will happen five minutes later is I will stop practice again and I will tell you the same five pieces of feedback mm -hmm. to the team because um, most people won't. Most people will respond by not being able to do anything because they won't be able to keep because they can't keep all of it in their head. They won't keep keep any of it. Some people choose something at random. I won't know what it is. The best phrase for this that I've, I've heard a coach use is a, a New Zealand rugby coach said to me. When you chase five rabbits, you catch none. Right. And we ask players to chase five rabbits all the time. All right? the time. Yeah. You know, I watched. I watched sessions today where um, where excellent coaches paused and asked players to chase five rabbits. And so, mm -hmm. what's an easy, low impact way to get better at your impact your, to make your your influence more profound with, with players? Pause. Tell them one thing. Let them try. Give them feedback on it. So it might be like, pause, girls, when we're building out of the back, the pace of our passes is really important. Every ball has to be struck faster. And maybe I want to throw an end on the ground. Right. Go. Right. Now, yes, Carly, that's what we're looking for. Emily, strike it harder. Right. So now I can, yeah. one, like we all know that we're working on something. It's in our, it, we're, our attention is focused on it. I can give you live feedback on it. Great. Five minutes later, girls, that looks really good. Now let's go on to what happens when we receive the ball. Or that was pretty good, but it still needs to be better. We still need to challenge our, our teammates by striking the ball even harder. Two more minutes, let's work on it some more. Yeah. Or, yes, the pace is good, but the ball has to roll on the carpet. It's good. We really have to get, the, get over the, let's mm. focus on getting over the ball, right? So right. I can actually be more attentive to, not only can I give players individual feedback, but I can adapt my coaching to the to my coaching point when I, when I make the signal. So, when you know, when you give feedback, tell players one thing. Right. right. That would be like one of my most mm -hmm. 
basic pieces of advice for coaches. How would you suggest now, because just listening to you know a whole bunch of people talk and and teach and coach and everything, you know, I think what I'm trying to focus on now is like teaching your players how to think. Yeah. So maybe take it takes a little bit of the guesswork out of it, and also creates more internal. I guess motivation and internal leadership. I teach them how to think. Yeah. So you know, how can you go about? If I'm a coach, how can you go about teaching players how to think your way? Yeah, I think that's so important because we want players to be problem solvers, right? But we also want them to be coordinated problem solvers, right? It's not just that you have to solve your problem. Yeah. The killer app in football is we all, you and I are teammates, and we have. We understand the way that we want to play the game. And so when you, when I pass into you and you pass back out to me, I read that as a signal that like, we both understand that you've, you've attracted, that my pass to you attracted pressure, that two or three men are pressuring you and that means that there's space somewhere else and you've actually struck the ball back to me slightly slower than you ordinarily might to mm-hmm. buy me a second of time to scan and find the open man, right? And so yeah. we're, we're communicating about a shared game model. So, in other words, we're participating in solving problems together, and that's it's a much more complex challenge and requires not just individual problem solving, but shared group, coordinated group problem solving. I have to, I have to read your signal faster than the defense. Can. Right. I think that's really like just part of why coaching is so challenging yeah. and fascinating. And so, so you mentioned now, yeah. just going back a little bit, the the information overload. You don't want to do too yeah. much. But so it's like, you know, how 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 do how do we learn then? How do these kids, you know, what are the best ways other than, or aside from, you know, yeah. not, not giving too much information, what are other ways to relay your message and help them learn? Yeah, um, I think, uh, right, that's, that's the, it's the million dollar question. Yeah. But um, I think one of the most profoundly important things that people overlook is the importance of vocabulary. Okay. Um, one of the things that scientific research tells us is that if I have a clear mental model of what it looks like when it's done well um, it changes my perception I'm able to I'm able to notice when it's happening well or notice when something is wrong and so like I want to familiarize players with like if I wanted to uh, like common passing patterns like back and through but I want to give things names right because or a phrase to describe them uh, I was watching Tom Shields coach mm. this morning this morning we were doing a session together and he was talking to players about how to get into space and he used the phrase um, behind and between right and then he modeled it for them so he's doing two things he's giving them a picture right mm-hmm. this is what it looks like to, to like drop back off your defender so he can't see you quite so well and then get be- between him and the other defender and this is a great place to find space right, right? so he's doing a couple things here right he's giving them background knowledge mm-hmm. which is like here is an idea that you can use and adapt to create separation from defenders. And then just as important as he's painting a picture of it, here's what it looks like when it happens. And then maybe most of important most important of all, he is giving it a name. Mm. Right? And the only reason that we can conceptualize things in our brains is because we have names for them, right? right. Democracy right. exists because we have a name for it, right? Like um, uh, and so we, and then like within democracy, like we talk about things like majority and supermajority. Uh. The only reason we conceive those we conceive those things and can talk about them is because we have an efficient name for it. And so a, a friend of mine who's a who's a basketball coach says of his, his coaching staff he says we spend as much time talking about what we want to name the concepts as we do about what concepts we want to teach our players because vocabulary is a tool that we have to talk about them. And so after Tom introduced this idea this idea of, of 
behind and between. And then when players are playing, you can say, yes, behind and between, or no, see if you can get behind and between. Right. And if he doesn't have that phrase, they can't conceptualize it, and he can't communicate with them in real time about it. And so, one, I think there's this notion of like, I think some people believe in a romanticized version of human cognition where they believe that like all knowledge exists within players and if we just ask them questions and put them in the right constraints that we can like draw it all out of them. I think that that is fundamentally wrong. I think any cognitive scientist would tell you that higher order thinking is impossible without background knowledge. It's domain specific. You know, like quick, have a higher have a higher order thought about have a creative thought about particle physics. Right? You and I don't know anything about right. how, can I, how can I think creatively yeah. about particle physics? Yeah. I don't know anything about it. Like, think critically about Napoleon's attack at dawn at Waterloo in 1815. What do you think? Right? I don't know. Yeah. Right. I, f- I failed that test. <laughs> you can only think critically about things you have background knowledge about. And so I think we have to acknowledge that we have to actually teach things. Asking questions is a critical way to engage players and engage their cognitive faculty but we also have to explain things and teach things. And this is, I think, the point that I'm trying to make, put names on them. Yeah. Like, when you have a name for something, up, back, and through, between the lines. I mean, I hear coaches using the phrase between the lines mm. all the time, and I would guarantee you that like 80% of the players have no idea what they mean by that right. phrase. As my daughter's soccer tournament last year, the outside back is radically out of position, yeah. and the coach is yelling, stay connected, stay connected. Right. She Did she change? She had no yeah. idea. It's connected to what? How? How? Co- how connected? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, like she continued to be in. Everything that's expected has to be defined with you know in, in language. So that's interesting. I think that's just one of the. So, yeah, you were asking, but how do we get players to think? One is we yeah. give them knowledge and we encode that knowledge in language so it's efficient. And then I think we can start to ask questions, and have cause them to think more productively about them. And like that's when sort of questioning comes in. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we can talk more about that. Right. No, that's, that's interesting though, because it's like, even coaching at the college level, you would think like by the time they get there, they have that information, but they may not have it, and then and then they might be even too shy or scared to ask. It's like, oh, I should I should know this, but I, but I have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, I think a hundred percent. And I would even say that I have a friend of mine who teaches license who teaches license courses who says that he thinks one of the reasons that coaches struggle to encode knowledge for players is that they don't know themselves you know they've grown up in environments where people believe this numinous romantic vision of, of knowledge generation that it's all within 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 us and no one has actually ever taught them right you know here's what I, I, I keep thinking about this um, conversation I had with Paul McGinnis who's okay. um, he works for the FAA in England he worked for many many years at Manchester United Academy and he's just this brilliant guy and he he used this phrase in our conversation to describe effective movements away from the ball. He called them um, uh, sudden late movements. Right? And I think that's a beautiful phrase because it tells you that one, that like a good movement off the ball often is like involves a change of pace, right? You snap into a space unexpectedly and that creates some separation from the defender. And it's late. That's so fascinating, right? It means like it's actually the later the better, the closer to the ball's arrival, the better because it gives your defender less time. So first of all, I think it's a great phrase. But then I would just say as soon as he used that phrase, we hung up the phone, I was like, it's so interesting. And then every time I watched a match, I started to notice these sudden late movements as they happen. And so um, I only saw it because I had this name for it. 
because right. he'd give me this name. But then my knowledge around it started to grow, and I started to notice the different, like, oh, right. look at Zaha's, like, sudden late movement mm. there, and the, look at, you know, oh, Maxwell Cornet, like, look at, he made that interesting. And so suddenly, like, my knowledge coalesces around this phrase that, uh, that he gave me. And uh, I, um, uh, yeah, I, I've kind of lost track of what we're even no, but, but that, that is awesome. No, it, it makes so much sense too. But but also like going off to what you're talking about, I was like, just going off what you said. Do you have that information too to know what to look for and to understand it? And then, you know, how how can coaches kind of yeah. understand what to look for? And then how can they relay that essentially that data? Yeah, thanks to, for taking me back. That yeah, yeah. So I think my friend's argument is that like a lot of coach, how many coaches like know what. I, I heard coaches today saying like, how can you create space? Create space off the ball, right? Well, that's very different from saying small late movements, right? right? Like right. think yeah. about small late movements. And they so, never learn what creating space means, you know, they might yeah, they like, not understand it. It's a beautiful game and we've yeah. been playing it for, you know, a hundred plus years and there is a body of knowledge that it matters to know yeah. and understand and study. And so, um, you know, like, uh, it's not just the, uh, that knowledge matters and, yeah. it's, uh, and there's a lot of it out there that's kind of I think one of the most powerful things that a, that a club could do would one be have like a shared vocabulary list so we're all using the same right. vocabulary um, and then like really be intentional about like what are the what are the 10 or 20 most important things to really really know deeply the session that I'm doing tomorrow with um, uh, with Tim Bradbury is on, yeah. is on knowledge building actually he's going to model two sessions he's going to model how to teach defending in banks of four and then he's going to model how to break how to break down banks of four and so the first session is the first half is knowledge driven from like a tactical standpoint right. which is like he's going to draw a picture of like this is what our spacing should look like and this is how we react when someone tries to penetrate our bank of four um, and so you know all the and then the second part is like there's a whole second body of technical knowledge of like okay so when we're breaking down a bank of four the speed at which we're able to change the point of attack is critical okay when I am a deep-lying center midfielder and a forward playing wide player plays the ball back to me diagonally and I know that I that one of the things I, I'm either I'm going to look forward for a, uh, an entry pass and if I don't see it I'm going to change the point of attack quickly to the far flank what what is my angle of approach look like and right. what what are the choices for a first touch and what should my first touch, touch look like and you know like this is like basic but it should be a driven ball not a chip ball right, right. but like how often do we teach that you must drive this ball here's yeah. how to drive the ball drive it with your laces you know like you cannot chip that ball it cannot be on the ground right, it right. must be driven it, you know yeah. it, it must be driven 10 feet high over the heads of the defenders you know uh, like that's a form of like there's both technical knowledge and tactical knowledge and in some right. cases like the ability to do the tactical thing change the point of the attack is predicated on the technical thing which is and so like he spends yeah. I've seen Tim's like spend time in these workshops that it does just like really like, okay what are all the different surfaces we can use to, to you know to strike the ball which surface when right, and why right. like um, which a lot of coaches have not spent enough time thinking about yeah it's very interesting so uh, last question I have for you is you've had a great career so far being an author working you know Uncommon Schools your nonprofit, and working with a whole bunch of different coaches you know what would you say if you can mm -hmm. if you could summarize you know your top three things that you've learned from co from coaches and what makes those coaches at such high levels so successful? Yeah. That's a great question. I think that you know people ask me all the time, like, what makes a great teacher? Right. 
and part of me wants to say nothing like there's no recipe right like yeah. introverts and extroverts and funny sure. people and not funny like there are a lot of different just models just be you be right great. Yeah. yeah but I'd say the commonality if I had to point out like commonalities I'd say number one is humility um, and number two is uh, growth mindset and the hunger to get better every day that like great coaches are constantly self-examining themselves right. they manage to like ask themselves hard questions and set out to like constructively experiment and get a little bit better you know it's obvious to us that if, that players should have growth mindset and they right. should love challenge mm -hmm. and want to get and want to not compare themselves to some abstract standard but get a little bit better every day it's sometimes less obvious to us that that's how we should be as adults too but I think yeah. the people who successfully do that not only are great right. but I think are happier like I think it's yeah, a, that's a joyful sure. life of a craftsman sure. to constantly be figuring out how do I do this a little bit better constant self-reflection yeah yeah and I think mm -hmm. when you lose when you stop doing that you lose sight of that like mm -hmm. you I would just say like and I'm thinking about the classroom teachers here people leave the profession when the profession doesn't engage them intellectually and make them interested in the craftsmanship of their job and the, it's interesting that the, it's the best people who leave first, right? Um, yeah. And so teaching has this problem in that not only, it, you know, people talk about like the challenge of attracting people to teaching, it is a much bigger problem keeping people than attracting people. And the people that it loses most are oftentimes its best practitioners because um, the culture in schools allows the job to become boring. Right. And, um, because work conditions are like yeah it's a whole uh, topic, yeah, yeah you know like uh, there are a thousand other issues but like but that sort of sense of like I love this job because I love to learn and I want to get better every day and when you don't get that in your job you go and you become a lawyer or a real right. estate broker or some other job yeah and, and things just like, become yeah mm -hmm. sure I mean yeah, interestingly you know like there are soccer clubs that are full of former teachers for exactly, right, for exactly right. yeah, that yeah. reason right so yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, Doug, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. This was this was awesome. Hey, it's my pleasure. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me.